Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Promotional support for this episode of the Hinkley Report podcast is provided by Trib Talk, an award-winning news podcast from the Salt Lake Tribune. Join host Benjamin Wood, Tribune reporters, and community guests as they dive into the latest topics affecting Utahns. Find Trib Talk at sltrib.com or by searching for Trib Talk on most major podcast platforms. Tonight on the Hinkley Report. As Utah's economy evolves, state leaders debate how to modernize the tax code. Legislators grapple with the most effective way to fund education and ensure demands are met. Everything is on the table as they debate taxes on property, services, and even food. And with the 2020 election looming, supporters of the reforms push for a special session. Welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Brad Wilson, speaker of the Utah House of Representatives, Natalie Gochner, director of the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, and Stuart Adams, president of the Utah State Senate. So glad to have you all here for the special episode of the Hinckley Report, where we're talking about tax reform. And you all have been in this, the three of you in particular. Uh, and so this is an opportunity for us to talk about what's happening and uh, into the details of what has just been released. Uh, President, let's start with you for a moment. Talk about uh, the, the reasons for what you're doing, uh, an understanding of why you're embarking on such an enormous effort right now. Well, first, I'd just like to say it's really exciting to be here with you and great to be here at the University of Utah campus. The football team's doing really great. <laughs> so, we're thrilled about uh, that. But uh, there's a, the reason we're doing it is there's a problem. And very seldom is it that the the speaker and the president and even the governor agree that we have a problem. And that problem comes from a couple of things. One is we ha actually have a mandate, which is a real good mandate, that 100% of our education money be spent on education. And that alone doesn't cause a problem, but it's, it's part of the, it's, it's together it does. Mm -hmm. Because the other problem is that in the state, we don't really get much, if any, property tax, but we get a lot of sales tax, general fund money, and income tax, uh, the education money. The, the sales tax is used for the, the general uh, operations of the state, but it's growing slower than the income tax. Mm -hmm. So when you are mandated that all your income tax money be spent on education, and the other fund that funds the entire budget in the state isn't growing as fast, it causes a problem. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to fix the problem. Okay, so, Speaker, maybe talk about the structural imbalance a little bit, both sides of the equation, and how your efforts right now are going to address it. Yeah, so, well, we all love living in Utah, and the state is not a very well-kept secret anymore, so we're growing at a record rate right now, and people love being here, want to come here, and, and our economy is really doing well, but the challenge is we, we, we're seeing people spend their money so differently than they used to 30, 40 years ago. We used to spend our money on products and goods that generated sales tax. We spend it differently. We spend it on medical care and services and experiences, and that's created some real strain for our our state budget. And we're within just a couple of years of not being able to fund uh, 
vital government programs and put new money into those. So we are in fact addressing the problem. Uh, it's a difficult, complicated situation, but it's one that we're excited to kind of get uh, fixed so we can continue to invest in the growth of the state. And in its simplest form, what we need to do is we need to stabilize our sales tax base in the state. And so we're going in and saying, let's raise the rates and put some new things in the sales tax bucket so we have more sales tax down the road and then do a tax cut, a big tax cut. So almost every Utah household will be paying less taxes in a year than they're paying today as we even out this sales tax bucket and this income tax bucket. And at the same time, we'll still be able to invest new money every year in public education so that we can take care of the next generation. Mm -hmm. A lot to break down into details. Maybe Natalie, as we set the stage here as the state's you know, top economist also, uh, give us a sense for uh, what you've seen historically on this and where, where we're kind of land right now in terms of these big reforms. I'd make two points. Uh, I've never seen a tax modernization, a tax overhaul as sweeping as what we're seeing right now. That's why the legislature's been very deliberative about it. That's why there's been public hearings all around the state, because it's, it's a really big deal. And the second point I'd make is that uh, the speaker mentioned we have a strong economy, and there's a saying that uh, you fix the roof while the sun is shining. Mm -hmm. It's so important that the state deal with uh, issues like this, structural imbalances, um, a sales tax base that is being upended, that you deal with it when you have a strong economy because it gets worse every year, not the economy, but the tax situation. And when you have a strong economy, you have the ability to do it in a way that gives everybody a tax break mm -hmm. and sort of restructures and modernizes your public finance system. Okay, can we break out a couple of these pieces? Speaker, talk about one of these uh, ideas uh, that are in your proposal coming out. Let's talk about food, all right? So there was a time the sales tax on food was reduced for a period of time, proposal right now, and we understand there's a lot of, a lot of things happening here with this. Talk about what, what the plan is with food, and not just for those that are going to pay more for that, but the ones that will have a chance to maybe have it offset. Yeah, so we pay a little bit lower sales tax rate on food today than on everything else we buy. And so the proposal says, let's change that and pay the same amount of sales tax on food as everything else. But what's really great about this proposal is even though we do that, we take and we create a number of credits for individuals so that we can do targeted and very specific programs for those that are at the lower end of the income scale. They actually become some of the biggest winners in this tax reform proposal, those that are maybe under the $30,000, $40,000 a year household level mm -hmm. with some of these credits. And the other great part about this tax cut proposal is we're able to go in and help those that are on Social Security have a lot of tax relief as well. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of part of this overall sales tax on food component. But after you pay a little bit more on sales tax on food, but get these credits and these income tax reductions, people will be paying less tax. Mm -hmm. How will they claim these credits? Uh, it's pretty simple. Um, you do it when you file your taxes every year. And for those individuals that don't file taxes, and there's a fair amount of those, uh, they just have one simple form they need to send in every year. And mm -hmm. we're actually putting some money in this bill so that um, the Department of Workforce Services and some of our advocacy groups can go out and help those that are at these lower income th uh, levels know that they need to go file this form so they can claim this refundable uh, credit. Okay. Um, President. Yeah, so so the, one of the challenges we have is that uh, w uh, the benefit for the sales tax off of food really doesn't help those in need. It's, it's misperceived because it does give some benefit, obviously, but many 
those visitors from out of state, tourists, they get the same sales tax benefit on food. So do people who make a lot of money. And so the thought is if we can target this low income population the speaker just talked about with these credits, we can give many times more benefit to that low income population. And it actually also helps this structural imbalance. And the other thing it does is our economy is when things are going well, people are buying furniture and cars, so their sales tax revenue is going up. But when the, the economy goes bad, they stop buying those things, so it goes down in a cyclical fashion. What they buy in a strong economy or in a, in a not so strong economy is food. So it actually bends that curve down and reduces the volatility. So if you can actually help the low and the needy population better, fix our structural imbalance, and stabilize our income stream, that's not a bad scenario for the state. What have you seen in that, on that particular tax over time since it was reduced, Natalie? Well, I think the way to think about it is let's just put some numbers to it. Um, the policy objective is to help Utah's vulnerable That's population. Right. Lots of things do that. Medicaid does that. Uh, the equivalent of food stamps, which we call SNAP, does that. Uh, housing vouchers do that. Um, WIC does that. I'm just trying to give you an extent that there's a lot of things we're doing and the federal government does to help the vulnerable population. In 2007, I think it was, they decided that we should also give them a food tax break. But as the president said, instead of doing it in a really targeted, tailor-made fashion, they gave it to everybody. So the number is that the state takes in $250 million less every year because of the policy objective to help low income. And that $250 million, as the president has said, makes our uh, tax system more volatile. So under the proposal that's being considered, uh, they've gone in and they're gonna give a much more generous benefit to low-income populations than the 30 million. Mm -hmm. That's what the, the low-income get from the sales tax uh, lower rate. They'll get more than twice that from these income tax credits. So you're helping people with food. Um, they have a social security tax credit. You're helping people in fixed incomes. They have an earned income tax credit for intergenerational poverty um, folks, and so that's a help for the working poor. So this is much more um, carefully done. It's more generous to vulnerable populations, and, it, and the, the real win is over the long term, we have a much more stable, flexible tax system that will ha allow us to do a lot more for education and roads and vulnerable populations. Mm -hmm. Very good. Let's talk about sales tax changes. President, uh, walk us through some of those changes that you're contemplating right now. Well, uh, one of the changes I think is probably most talked about is the uh, sales tax on gasoline. And, and w there's, a, there's a pretty good principle behind tax policy that the people pay for a service, uh, use a service should pay for it. You do that with your water, you do that with your sewer and you do that with your garbage. Those that use those services pay for them. With transportation, we've kind of evolved into a different model. There's $633 million of that general fund money that we're, that's not growing as fast that we need that's being spent on transportation. So that simply means that somebody who doesn't drive a mile at all, who doesn't have a car that sits at home, they pay the same as someone who buys a, drives 100,000 miles. And that's an inequity. So the idea is to try to move things more toward a user fee. 
So that's what we're doing. We're, we're raising the gasoline tax, and then we're coming into that general fund money, a fund we call the TIF, Transportation Investment Fund, and we're reducing that by the same amount of money as the gas tax to try to fix that, what I think is a poor tax policy, and actually help with that structural imbalance. Jason, I just have to add, I feel for our viewers that have to listen to all this tax policy, <laughs> but you get a feel you, for man. how, yeah. well, no, it's wonderful, I love it, but you get a feel for how complicated this is and why it's uh, taking so much time and conversations to get it right. Mm -hmm. We started working on this a little over a year ago and um, there are so many moving parts and as we work in this environment where our tax code that we operate under today was really designed 50 years ago, you're trying to unwind things that don't really work for the new economy but will work for this state that's growing mm -hmm. faster than pretty much any other state in, in the country and maintain the quality of life that we all care about so much. Mm -hmm. And so it's been kind of fun and challenging for policymakers, but Natalie's right. This is very complex. Yeah. I want to throw out a big compliment to the people behind the two of you that are modeling this. That's, this is the crowd that I work in, but when you think of the amount of data that has to be organized and the models that have to be run so we can know the impacts and you know what is publicly available is a lot of information that several years ago you wouldn't have been able to have. Mm -hmm. You know, we have one of the shortest legislative sessions in the country, it's 45 days, it's 33 working days, and our staff is just phenomenal. And during those 45 or 33 days, they, they put in long, long hours. And I'm really concerned. We've worked them so hard over the interim that, uh. that I hope they're able to, to endure that, that session. Yes. But you're, Natalie, you're exactly right. The, the models and the, and, the, and the economic data that we've given, been given has been phenomenal. And I'm glad you'd actually tell them thanks. We owe them well, a great deal of thanks. You can let them have Thanksgiving Day off. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and, and, and gratitude well, and for it. Essentially, what makes it neat is they've given the policymakers little levers or volume yeah. knobs. Yeah. We can, so you can say, well, we want more of a tax benefit to low income, and they can go do that. Mm. We want more user fees here. They can go do that. And I think it's a, a really remarkable piece of work. And w one of the things they've done is a scatter graph. It's showing which taxpayers uh, get a reduction and which, uh, you know, we know that some will be on the border or may not. So we're actually adjusting that. And you'll see probably an adjustment at the next uh, tax form, uh, tax reform meeting is they'll, we're actually trying to make sure that we do the best for not only the general population, but they actually scattered individual taxpayers on it. So mm -hmm. we know kind of not without names what each benefit or, or uh, lack of uh, benefit. Uh, sp speaker, uh, one of the biggest pieces of this, of the many big pieces, is what happens with public education. Uh, we're the only state that has a constitutional uh, mandate. The income tax is tied to public education. Uh, and I know there's still some, some changes to come on this. The current thinking about the options to take care of public education if that earmark is removed. Yeah. Well. I think it's uh, really important that we all understand that in 1948, when we amended our Constitution and said all income tax in this state will go to public education, we were sending a signal and, and something that, a signal that said we care a lot about public education. But the challenge is, we also said at the time, we're going to put the most volatile tax source we have as the primary funding source for public education. Really, not very many states do that. And the truth is, it really hasn't worked very well for us. Uh, we've gone from 51st in per pupil spending to 51st since this went in f into effect. And, and we've just been trying to rethink kind of from the ground up 
what is the maybe the best way for us to fund public education? Uh, this bill will not take a dime out of public education. Any adjustments we make, sorry, higher ed guys, yes. um, okay, we'll talk uh, about that one. is going to come inside our higher ed budgets, but their budgets aren't going to be cut. We're going to change some kinds of revenues they get, but they'll be held harmless. Public education is not going to see a dime different in terms of education fund money. But we are going to have to, I think, think in this state and ask ourselves some hard questions about how are we going to invest in public education in the future? Do we want the state to fund growth in public education every year in good times and in bad? What is the role of local school districts in terms of funding public education? And right now in Utah, the state's effort, we are fifth in the country in terms of our effort on public education funding. Only four states put more of their budget towards public education than we do. Our local districts are 33rd, so that's a noble effort, but there's probably room uh, for there to be a little bit more local uh, funding for public education, and we're trying to figure out a way to get our state effort at fifth to look a little bit more, or the local effort at 33rd to look a little bit more like the state effort at, at fifth. And so we're talking through those things right now, and uh, it's challenging, but I think it signals that we care a lot about maybe redefining a new system for funding public education. Mm -hmm. I want to get to the property tax side of it for a second too, but Natalie, maybe give the, the, your economist hat on here. The effort, the spending uh, dollars versus the effort dollars and the corresponding impact, because we, we hear that phrase with the, you know, about the per pupil spending, how we're so low. Give that some context for us. Uh, the context I'd provide is that the economy is cyclical. We have a business cycle. And when in a down cycle, uh, public education sometimes gets hurt. Sometimes we haven't funded growth. And uh, what the legislature, in my judgment, is doing is saying, let's rethink this. Let's get into the sort of abundance world, the opportunity world. How can we do this better? So what's on the table, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but is to, is to put in a promise to Utah school children and to educators that we're going to fund growth in good times and bad. And we're also going to let growth grow with the price level, sorry, funding grow with the price level. And then we're going to give more flexibility to local school districts to address needs. And, and then even, I think, even more significant than all of those is we're going to put our tax system on a more stable basis going forward. So if I'm in the education community, I'd be taking the long view and say in year 10, in year 15, am I in a better situation? I think you absolutely are if you make changes that align the tax structure with the economy, which it's not right now. Yeah. President. Uh, may, may address uh, the upside part here. If, the, if we're, they're going to be held harmless, the upside potential uh, with some of these local opportunities that might be available for school districts. Well, there's no question as we as we look at tax reform that if we make our if we make our our, our general fund stronger, if we make the education fund stronger, if we give a more stable tax uh, source or more reliable uh, revenue source for education, we're all better off. And that's what we're trying to do here, is we're trying to not only fix the problem, the structural imbalance, but actually deal with the stability. And, and inside of all that, we're talking about an $80 million tax cut. And if we can do that, along with all the other things we're trying to do, we think we have a, a really great policy and a, and a, a great, and again, 15 grandkids 
uh, I think I'm uh, pretty excited for them that their future can be as bright as, as ours is today. Mm -hmm. How are you going to address that property tax issue? Because it's not primarily yeah. a state. Well, none of us like property taxes, me included, right? And so we're still working through different ideas and options there, Jason. Um, and uh, it's interesting because for very good reasons, we've said we need to keep property taxes as low as we can. There's a group of the the, the citizenry that are on fixed incomes, and that can become a real burden to them, so we got to protect them. Um, but we also need to figure out a way to fund our schools, and so we're trying to kind of manage that delicate uh, dance right now. You know, we're, we're one of those states that has relatively low property tax. Now, uh, we'd always like them to be lower, but mm -hmm. um, how do we take that uh, low property tax rate we have, keep it low, but also fund our schools in a little bit better way? And so we're working through those details. Okay, very good. So complex, yeah. and I just, I, I'm, property tax is, you know, a hated tax, but it's also a very stable tax, and it's also a very transparent tax. You know exactly what you pay. Mm -hmm. And for a long time in this state, we've been leaning on the sales tax to kind of increase the rate here, do a little something there, and it's completely uh, unknown to any taxpayer how much they're paying. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a careful balancing here, and I don't want to seem like this, you know, over-the-top cheerleader, um, except to say that it's really extraordinary the amount of thinking that's gone into doing something very difficult to do. So the other complexity in this, and I'm glad you say it's complex because it is, our, in, our, income, our income tax we pay to the state and it gets divided up equally into what they call a WPU, a weighted pupil unit. It gets spread out equally to all the school districts. Property tax actually stays within each of the school districts. So a school district that has a lot of great commercial real estate inside that school district, they get a lot of property tax, and a district that doesn't have any gets a little. And property tax is not equalized. So when you add the complexity of unequalized property tax with an equalized income tax, it does become complex. Yeah. And how to solve That's, that is, is really difficult. Uh, one of the complex issues that I, I'm curious uh, how you will maneuver this is uh, if you want to remove the constitutional earmark for an income tax, it's going to require the vote of the people. That's right. So uh, explain that track there and... I guess with the alternative plans, just sure. as you're being positive about it, but give us give us the options there. Yeah. So as we went around the state over the course of this year doing town halls, trying to get feedback on potential tax reform ideas, one of the things we heard every stop we made was, why do we have this barrier between different taxing revenue streams? Why don't you remove that barrier, barrier so the legislature can make the best decision any one year that they need to, to fund the needs of the state's growth as well as education needs? and. So we're trying to be responsive to what we've heard, but at the same time, how do we actually create a more long-term focused, systematic funding structure for public education? And at the end of the day, amending the Constitution to remove the earmark on public education funds that are related to income tax has to go to the voters. Mm -hmm. And the legislature, both the House and Senate, have to have a supermajority to choose to do that. We amend the Constitution constitution almost every year uh, or every other year uh, but they're usually not these bigger questions like this one would be but I will say what our objective is Jason is is if we're going to amend the Constitution uh, and change the earmark for income tax our idea would be to have a better system for funding public education uh, to replace it mm -hmm. so you have parallel tracks maybe on this too while you wait for that that vote to occur yeah that's right 
Okay, uh, so uh, as, as we talked about tax reform over the last several months, there were a lot of conversations about uh, the services uh, that were going to be taxed. Uh, the list has been refined a bit. Maybe get, walk us through that a little bit, President. Uh, who's still on that list? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and that list is continually changing, but I think yeah. the concept is not. And the concept is, as the speaker uh, began the conversation with, our, our general fund money, the sales tax, is actually decreasing. And the reason it's decreasing is because we're, we're buying more services. And instead of mowing our lawn, we're asking people to go mow it for us and pay for the service, but we don't buy the lawnmower that has sales tax related mm -hmm. to it. So we're trying our best to, to look for services that, that actually reflect our economy. And one of those is obviously like streaming videos. When you go to buy a video at the, at the store, you pay a sales tax when you take that DVD home. But when you stream it, you don't. So we're trying to actually give a level playing field to those type of, of, of commodities and make sure the service is taxed along with the, the actual physical product mm -hmm. you buy. Natalie. You know, there's a saying, I don't remember who say it, but uh, don't tax you, don't tax me, tax the fellow behind the tree. <laughs> We're saying it now, yes. Yeah, good. I mean, <laughs> I, I really feel for state leaders that are working through this, but I'll just say the economics of this are, um, there's an academic consensus on the notion that it's good tax policy to broaden the base mm -hmm. and lower the rate. The reason we say that is broad means fair and lower means that you're more efficient. You're not getting in the way of market decisions. Mm -hmm. The higher the tax, the more you distort the market. So I know that's um, you know public finance talk, but, but that's what they're trying to do here. And then importantly, and I, I'd love to hear the uh, leaders comment on this, but I think a lesson was learned from last session, the 2019 session, where there was an attempt to put uh, tax on more services, legal services, I don't know, more professional business services, and that's not in this bill, am I correct? Yeah, that's right, that's correct. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a very modest attempt to broaden the base, which in year 10, 11, 12, mm -hmm. is gonna make uh, things a lot better for this state. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day, we're just at this point, trying to take a modest step into some of these consumer services that have replaced products that we used to buy over the last 30 or 40 years so that like the president said, streaming versus buying the DVD or CD, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. you're, you're also removing some of the sales tax and other things we talked about, we talked about the, the, the restoring the food, but also on hygiene products, which is something that people have been talking about in the state as well. Any other exemptions? There are, there are a number of exemptions that are being removed that exist right now um, that we, we couldn't find any real justification for mm -hmm. uh, moving forward. And uh, we think if a business or an industry is going to receive an exemption, there needs to be a very clear line of sight to the return for taxpayers. And those that we don't see the taxpayers benefiting from, we're going to e eliminate those exemptions moving forward. Mm -hmm. Do you still have a list of those you're working through? We do. Yeah. We do. Yeah. And, you know, I just say that, you know, this has been a, a, a really significant uh, effort. And as the, as the speaker said earlier, it started a long time ago. And we're hopefully looking at a special session, but I hope this doesn't end here. I know that we're, mm -hmm. that's hard to think about right now because we're all really tired. But to make Utah's PAC tax policy better, we've seen a great impact from that. 2.7, 2.5 unemployment rate today in that range, probably the strongest economy the state's ever had. Uh, you know, a lot of great things happening. And we believe that happens from good tax policy, and oh. that's what we're trying to maintain. Very good. Thank you so much for the insight today about the tax plan. We'll be watching closely. Thank you for the efforts on behalf of the state. Thank you very much. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of the Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.